0: When Laura Orsini got pregnant unexpectedly, her Catholic upbringing kicked in to inform her actions. But over time her adoption grew to be more than just giving up a child to appease the church. Her story came with twists and turns no one could have predicted. Find out what happened and what she learned this time on Adoption Uncovered. Just give me a brief overview of your story and your connection to adoption.
1: I am Laura Orsini. I live right now in Chandler, Arizona. I got pregnant when I was 27 and placed my son through, at the time I was told, I don't have any reason to disbelieve it. I just never researched it. The oldest adopt continuously operating adoption agency in the country, which is Spence Chapin in New York City. So I placed him with his other family who live in New Jersey.
0: Tell me about like when the first things when you found out, oh, my gosh, I'm pregnant. You know, and weren't expecting it. What were the thoughts going through your head at that time?
1: So I was 12 going to Catholic school and it was the only time this ever happened in my entire eight years at this school. But they had an assembly and they brought in prospective or already adoptive parents to talk to us about. If you ever get pregnant, hey, don't have sex because you shouldn't have sex at all. But if you do and you get pregnant, make sure you give it to a nice couple like us. That was the message. So when I got pregnant, I think that message was really deeply implanted. I was 27. It was 15 years later. But my first thought, you had, that was back to your question. My first thought was, I'm not keeping this baby. I'm going to place him.
0: Laura felt strongly about the desire to place her child in a family she felt comfortable with. That intense desire helped give her the tenacity to advocate for herself. She acknowledges that not all birth mothers are in a position to speak up for their needs or their child's needs, which leaves her with gratitude that her son was placed with the family that she was able to choose. You felt pretty good about your process and how that came about and where you were able to place your child, right?
1: Generally speaking, I think we had a very, very good experience. I mean, there was one really major hiccup. But it was minor relative to all the all the things that went very well. Um, The 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 complication I went through Spence, and at the time, uh, Spence Chapin used to um, allow the prospective birth mothers to look at three pro three to four profiles. I don't know how much your audience knows about what a profile is, but in back when I was placing, and I have no idea what's changed or what is still the same, but the prospective birth mother and my son's father was also involved grudgingly, but he was there for the first six or seven meetings he went um and so um so in this case the birth parents we were there and so they give you um a, a profile and it's uh, it's three parts it's a a letter dear birth mother or dear birth parents it's a photo album and it's a dossier of just what the this prospective family wanting to adopt a child is about So they put it together. I think they probably have some guidelines on how they do it. But the the family puts this profile together. So they gave me three or four. And I said, what happens if I don't like the first three or four? And they're like, well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Most women find a family within the first three or four. And I remember thinking, "Mm, I'm not sure that's going to work for me. This is the most important decision I will ever make in my life. And you're giving me three or four choices. So I didn't like the first three or four. And I didn't like the next three or four. And the agency started to get really frustrated with me, and they told me they didn't think I was serious about placing. So Tony and I had been together for five years at that time. I was 27. I had a job. I had health care, and I wasn't ready to be a mom. And he wasn't ready to marry me. And so that was going to be my condition to be a mother was I wanted to be married, and he said he wasn't ready. So I was very serious about placing, but I just hadn't found the family I wanted. So it was, um, it was a very difficult negotiation with the agency to get them to keep on giving me profiles. And it wasn't until, you know, he referred to them at one point as the baby sellers and that graded on me then, but I really get it now. Um, and he said, you know, until I started treating the baby as a commodity and said, look, I'll go up the street to the other agency if you can't give me the family I need. And then they took me seriously, but I mean, I really had to push back on that. So um, I became involved with uh, a new thing that got started as, as a part of, you know, a, a birth mom who had surrendered through them, placed um, through them. And that was the birth mother advisory board. So we started giving our feedback and making suggestions about things that the way they did things for the birth the birth moms, the birth families. And one of those was they should see all the profiles every birth mother who prospective birth mother who comes in, you don't get to decide, let them decide. So, you know, because they were limiting it because they were automatically limiting because I, I you know, I didn't want a single parent. I didn't necessarily want somebody who was radically different ethnically for me. Um, I wasn't looking for a gay couple, but now at, at least at the time when I left, I don't know what's changed. I have not kept in touch with them. Every prospective birth mother saw every prospective adoptive family. They at least saw like a a mini, like one sheet so that they could say, I would like to see that profile. So that changed, but that was probably one of the biggest hurdles in my adoption experience was just the process of getting to the adoptive family.
0: Maintaining access to information about her son as he grew up was important to Laura. She did her best to negotiate for ongoing updates about her son, but it didn't entirely go her way.
1: So it was written into our adoption paperwork that we would have um, contact until Eric was 10, at which point they would invite him to decide whether or not he wanted to continue the contact. That was all moot by the time he was 10. That was, it didn't even matter that that was in the paperwork, but the getting to signing that into the paperwork was very challenging. So the meeting where we had this discussion, my social worker wasn't able to be there for some reason. And she should have not had the meeting until she could be there. I should have said, no, I won't have the meeting until she could be there. But nevertheless, we went forward with it. So it was Kathy and Bruce, their social worker, and Tony and I were in this meeting. And um, Bruce kept pushing back. He was like, "Okay, well, no pictures after he's two. And I'm like, no, that's not going to work for me. And so that's when we got to this place of 10. We settled on it. Mm -hmm. But um, and then what they were going to name him, um, his name is Eric. His name is Eric Thomas Christian. And Christian was the name I gave him. So they agreed to put that into his name. So he has three, three first names that spell ETC. So etc. Um so anyhow, um, but 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 it was a that conversation was challenging. And so I went home and felt terrible. And Tony didn't do much to back me up. He was there, he was a presence, but he was he didn't say anything. And so Kathy called me the next day and she said, I feel like I pulled the rug out from underneath you yesterday. And she apologized. And that was the thing that solidified her with me was that she noticed, cause I thought a little like I thought it'd be today. I thought I was stoic and I didn't know that I cried. And I, this was all over the phone. They weren't even in the room with us. This was, they were, you know, on a speaker phone. They weren't even there in the room. And she still knew that I was really upset. And she cared enough to reach out and say, hey, are you okay?
0: A combination of instinct and factual information enabled Laura to steer clear of some adoptive families that didn't seem like a good fit for her or her
1: child. I, didn't, I have heard horror stories. I know things have gone badly. I know birth mothers have lied. I know adoptive parents have promised things that they didn't, couldn't wind up living up to because they were, they were living in fear. I mean, I really, I think that's what it comes down to. They were living in fear, but um, I, yeah, I have a lot of empathy, but I did not go through any, that was, those were the hurdles for me. Right.
0: But I, I expect it's kind of when you're looking at these profiles, even when you choose one, even when you're like, well, this is as close as I'm going to get, they're going to be humans with flaws that you may not see in the profile, right? Yeah. I mean, it sounds well, like you, you, know, you did, had to deal with some those. of
1: those. Yeah, we did have those too. I mean, Kathy and Brewster with the the they were the twelfth profile I saw, um, but I do talk specifically about two others. And one of them, the they they seemed interesting in that he was a he's a child psychologist and she was a Montessori part time Montessori teacher. And so at least they had like kid you know um, kid energy. They spent time around kids. And when I met them, she was just a cold fish. She was just so like I I can talk to. I've had probably five occasions in my entire life that I can remember where I couldn't have a conversation with someone. I am a good conversationalist and I can draw people out. It doesn't matter who they are because I cared. I'm interested. I couldn't talk to this woman for any reason. And she was just so cold. And um, the other thing was I did not tell my son about my pregnancy until he was a year old. So my, my, I did not tell my parents about my, my son about my pregnancy until he was a year old. And so my folks didn't know because I was in in New Jersey and they were in Arizona and I just didn't go home for Christmas and they never knew. And so when people would say, how did your parents respond? And I say, I haven't told them. Well, you're going to tell them right at the time. I thought, no, I don't know if I ever will. And Kathy was the only one who said, hey, you know your folks, you you know them. And if you don't want to tell them, you must have a reason for that. And she was the only one who did all the other birth mothers or adoptive moms, prospective adopt moms I spoke with were really agitated about that. And so this woman between being cold, that was another thing was you have to tell them. And so she went away. And then we got really close. the time after that and that this was a couple who I really liked them and so my son has blonde hair and blue eyes and he's about a foot taller than I am because he got all of his birth father's physical traits he has my personality which I think he got the right things the distribution was perfect for him so um, but um, at the time I, I didn't know I'd have a blonde haired blue eyed kid so this this family who we were looking at the the woman resembled my mom and so i thought like there was a just a sense of connection i really liked her i liked them and then so we had our first phone call and then they tell me we're not going to be available by phone for two weeks not not by phone or to meet for two weeks and i thought that was weird because i thought you get this close to a family you'll come back from the moon to meet the the mother of your baby right the possible mother of your baby and they were real evasive and they wouldn't say what was going on. And so I went to my social worker and I said something weird. And so she went to their social worker and it turns out that they hadn't been, hadn't had full disclosure on their form. He was having elective heart surgery. It was a valve issue that was not a life or death thing. It was an elective, but he hadn't disclosed this on his health forms. And so... My social worker said, do you want to continue with the conversation? And I said, I will, if I can get some clarity from them, because this seemed kind of sneaky and I would just like them to, you know, why were they evasive and perhaps apologize. And we had our next phone call and she said to me, I swear to God, I'll never forget this till I die. We don't owe you anything.
0: Oh, my god.
1: So, no. no thanks. I didn't hang up on her but I got through the rest of the call, but that was done at that point. Oh, both of those families. what happened with the first family? I found out later they withdrew because nobody chose them. I wasn't the only one who felt they were cold. No one chose them, and then this family they had had a near miss. They had had a a baby that was theirs, and they were ready to sign the papers, and the mom took off and left without even saying goodbye from the hospital. So they were still so crushed from that that they were bringing a lot of woundedness to the next experience. So they withdrew their name for a little while. I'm sure they wound up adopting. They were good people. They just handled our situation wrong because my son wasn't supposed to be with them. He was supposed to be with Kathy and Bruce. So it, it does all work out. But that was th- those two other. There were you know smaller blips. But yeah, when you're looking at people are human, and you are looking for perfection, and neither one of us is going to find perfection. But you want to get as close as you can.
0: Keeping contact with her son after he turned ten was not a given. By a fairly miraculous series of events, that connection was able to return to Laura's life. Now I know you. Um we're really fortunate to then continue this relationship and connect with your son later. Can you tell me how that came about? Oh.
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. So we have, I haven't written about this on the, on the uh, letters to my son blog, but um, yeah, we have what are known in adoption of synchronicities, uh, just coincidences. And some people have one or two, like I heard a story, a friend of mine, he was a birth mom um the reason she chose the family she chose was because they both went snowshoeing in north like upper upstate new york and it was enough of a oh that feels familiar to me ours are so many that we can't count and they're really weird things like his eric's aunt who has since passed away and i were next door neighbors at one point we it was not like We didn't know each other, but we lived in the houses literally right next door to each other at one point. His, uh, godmother lived several blocks away from us and like uh, his family used to come in and vacation in the Phoenix area. They vacationed in a dude ranch that's about 80 miles from Phoenix. So they would fly into Phoenix like routinely before we ever met them. And so they're just coincidence after coincidence, after coincidence, when we got married and Eric came, Eric and his mom and dad came to our wedding, um, my husband's grandmother also since passed away and bruce uh, eric's dad looked at each other they knew each other because they had worked together in the same bank 30 years previously so even my husband is drawn into this i mean there are so many circumstances like this so the story of how our adoption became open i was working at lehman brothers and quit because i was frustrated i did wind up going back later but at the time i quit and i was temping in new york city so i'm temping in new york city in an office for one guy and he was the crankiest nastiest just most ornery person you've ever met and i heard he's gone to jail since then but i mean just a horrible obnoxious person and i decided that's it i've had enough i quit and i decided well wait before i quit i want him to know my story because the adoption was really new at that point i think maybe eric was a year and a half old and so i was still in the emotional response to it and everything else. And so I took in the photographs because our agreement was that we would get pictures regularly. And she sent pictures really all the time. I mean, Kathy was phenomenal. She even sent me a lock of his hair so I could see what color his hair was. I mean, she was just uh, his first tooth that fell out. I mean, she was amazing. So, um, So I took the pictures for him to see because I just wanted to share here's my, what I'm going through. I don't know what made me do it i don't know why i thought it would impact him but it but that was my reason for doing it he knew eric's father eric's father was his personal banker and so he was and i i did ask at that point i said what is their last name and so he told me so it just became open because of that so i told tony i had found out tony said we don't owe them anything meaning we don't owe his eric's family anything And I did not feel that way. I felt like we owed it to them to let them know that we knew who they were now because that wasn't in the agreement. We agreed it was semi-open. They knew who I was. I did not know who they were. So we arranged a phone call and Bruce got really angry then. He told me I had no right to share the pictures. And I'm like, well, you gave the pictures to me. So they're mine. So yeah, I did have a right to share them. But because he was the one that was recognized and he was the one who kind of wound up blowing it open. So little by little after that, And I remember Eric was maybe 10 and he sent me, he was with his mom at work one day. He sent me an email from his mom's email. And so it just slowly kind of continued. And then when we got married, I invited them to come and and they did. So,
0: While activism has not intentionally been a major focus for Laura, one of the events she has organized has had a lasting effect.
1: So while we were still, while I was still in New York, one of the things, the birth mother support group that I was part of, Now, somebody recently told me that it was my idea and I would believe that, but I don't remember that to be the case. But so birth mother's day is the Saturday before mother's day. So it is not on a particular day. Mother's day is always the second Sunday, but birth mother's day could be the first Saturday or the second Saturday, depending on when mother's day falls, but it's the Saturday before mother's day. So um, I found that out. Somehow I knew that. And I thought, well, we should have a birth mother's day ceremony of some sort. So we did, we had the very first one and people came and read poems and you know it was just the birth moms. The second year it was, we invited the uh, other people like if you wanted your adoptive parents to be there or whatever, it, it expanded just a little bit. And this year, this year in 2022, they had the 25th anniversary of it. So that's how long it's been going. So that thing's been going every year, ever, ever since then. And I got to be there via Zoom this time. They invited me there for the 25th anniversary. And I wrote a poem, which I will be happy to send to you, um, called The Birth Mother You Know. And basically, it's anybody could be a birth mom because fat, short, skinny, tall, you know, educated, uneducated. You, there's probably a birth mother in your life who is a birth mom. You just don't know it. That's the gist of the poem. So anyway... um where was I going? So we had, we had this, this commemoration. And when I got here, one of the first things I did was reach out to all the adoption agencies in the Phoenix area and say, hey, do you have birth mothers who would be interested in a birth mother event for Birth Mother's Day? And the, it was crickets. I mean, really, nobody thought it was a good idea. They didn't know me. I don't really know why, but one, one gal who worked in Catholic Charities, she got involved and she and I became good friends ever since then. But um and she brought four or five birth mothers to our first event. We had at a coffee shop. And um we've tried, we did have one a few years ago, five or six, maybe maybe four or five years ago, we did a virtual one. So I kind of have touched my feet into it here and there. I know a lot of birth mothers because of my involvement with adoption, um, either through Spence or just they know me and I don't hesitate to tell my story. So I'm not I'm not in the closet or hidden about it at all. So, you know, the blog, whatever, I have met a a lot of birth moms.
0: Laura has had the opportunity to speak to different parts of the adoption triad. When talking to groups, she encourages adoptive families to keep in mind that the adoptive child is more than just their son or daughter. They have a bigger story to consider. It is also important to keep in mind that adoption is not an easy fix for hardships like infertility.
1: One of the things that I did wind up doing was I did a lot of public speaking about adoption. Uh, to prospective adoptive parents, to people who were recent new, brand new adoptive parents, and to social workers. And one of the things I said is, look, they're not gonna tell you this, but here, listen up and get this. Right now, the baby's never gonna be your blood child, and the sooner you come to terms with that, the easier it's going to be for everybody. And nobody's gonna say that because they don't wanna hurt your feelings. But the, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, I just want you to understand that piece. If you get that piece, then the expectations go away, the frustrations, you know, the I don't know your circumstances and I am not in any way judging them. But for me, it mattered a great deal. Two things that my family, the family already have a child because I did not want my son to be the guinea pig. I wanted them to have had experience parenting. And I understand that's very rare for birth moms. They always want their kid to be first um, uh, because that way they're special. I wanted them to know what they were doing. And um, the second thing was, They had a biological child who died at a week. She was, she had a heart defect. So they decided let's get pregnant again right now, as soon as we can. And they did. And so they had a second child who lived, who is Eric's older sister. And then they waited 10 years before they decided to adopt. So they did not go through the infertility experience. And for me, that made a big difference because it felt, even though I know it was not intentional, and this is part of the people are human piece, that there was judgment, that there was resentment, that I could do something that you can't do, and you're we're needed to have a transaction because of that, and there's frustration there, and I don't know how to clear the air on that, but that feels like a conversation that at least needs to get addressed from one side or the other in terms of the social workers, you know? So
0: right, so like view it more like birth mom is making this choice, not that she's deficient, and therefore I have to compensate.
1: Right, that. right. And, and and exactly the same way on the reverse. It's not like you were deficient because you couldn't bear a biological child, right? It's you're making a choice. And so yeah, that piece of it, there's a there's a gal who is a social worker who has written extensively, as she Probably. said, the one, the, the, she's the only person I've ever heard say this, and I think it's true. And I think that this is what I was writing about, is that infertility, like adoption has to be viewed as an extension of infertility, because you try ivf you try the things that you're trying to get pregnant to have a baby you're disappointed and you expect adoption to come and solve it instantly but if adoption doesn't solve it immediately because the birth mother changes her mind or other circumstances come up it just it's an extension of the process of making a family and so we we society the adoption agencies i think even the counselors have them as these two distinctly separate pieces but they're not and she was the only person i've ever heard say It's just an extension of the process. So I think in that transparency, in the making things better, that's another piece of the conversation. But I think that's not, it's not just go lecture the adoptive family here, view it this way. It's explain to the birth family what the adoptive family is going through because that part wasn't explained to me. However, if that wasn't explained to me on the first 11 profiles, here's why they might be having grief. Here's why they might be withholding from you. Here's where there might be a difficulty in conversation. They didn't say any of that. And so you're kind of left to piece it together. And like I said, I was smart. I was older. I was a reader. I had all kinds of capacity to get information, but you're in the middle of an unplanned pregnancy. Your hormones are going crazy. Your partner's not holding up the way you would like him to. And you feel like you're navigating it all by yourself, even though you have a really good social worker, you know, behind you. So yeah, as much information as, as you can get. The other part is, I don't know how much information birth moms are able to, to process in the middle of all that either. You right. know? So you go through an uh, attorney adoption and I do know that the law requires the attorney to say, counseling is available to you if you want it. But if they don't say it in the moment you hear it, they only have to say it once. They don't have to keep offering you the option for counseling. So if you don't know, again, what you don't know, you don't know that you're in the middle of this i really really need counseling you could be walking blind even more blindly than you ought to be that's why i really think the agency idea is a better one for all sides the, I, of course i'm biased because that was my experience but it just feels right. like everybody is is better represented when you go through an agency adoption
0: if a person is they ha- they're having this baby they're overwhelmed these adoptive families are coming in like this is not your baby is, is part of me that I'm giving you. And like, so it's, it's just not, even though they're adopting a baby, it's still adoption. And you're going to still have the trauma for the baby and, we can, and all this all this other stuff. As I, it seems like you're kind of saying like that's, that's a perspective that sometimes adoptive families that are adopting babies come in and they don't think about that. This is still adoption. This is not it, like you have solved your infertility problem.
1: Right, right. There is, there's going to there's be stuff. There's, st- mm-hmm. there's still going to be stuff. And so, you know, Kathy was, she really did. She did a thing that I think is both a, an amazing and fantastic thing. And a, oh, my God, did you really do that thing? Which was she always tried to see all the possible ways that a situation can turn out. But that was looking at it from like the bleakest to the most positive. Because she wanted, she said, her words were, I wanted to be ready for any possibility. I don't think that you can do that. Uh, you can't make it your way through life if you do that with everything, but anything that had to do with Eric, she was really looking for all the ways that it might go ready for it to be fantastic and ready for like sheer disaster to happen. And because, because of her foresight in that, I think that that alleviated a lot of the challenges. So we, I just was so blessed. I mean, I, I do not lie. I know that that ours was a storybook, you know, experience relative to what other moms
0: go through. Laura is a big proponent of transparency every step of the way along the adoption journey. She wants to see all members of the adoption triad treated with respect. And she's using her blog, Eric's Other Mother, and being open about her story to encourage others to have a realistic and fair view of all sides of adoption. If you want to learn more about Laura's blog and other projects, check out my website at adoptionuncovered.com, and thank you.